Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here, along with Pastor David Martins of South Africa. We are finally able to connect uh, after three, uh, two weeks uh, of uh, very difficult connection problems. But uh, praise Yahweh, Pastor Martins is here, and we're going to resume our study of the document. And I just posted the link in the chat room. Yes, good evening, Willie, Yeah, good day. And uh, well, with uh, uh, Willie Martin, uh, the rendition of the Van Rensburg prophecies composed, uh, written down by his granddaughter. And uh, but there's a the last two weeks I went solo because you and I were unable to connect, and so I pretty much uh, uh, was winging it part of, part of the time. And but uh, essentially the chapters I covered were from Van Rensburg's prophecies about Germany in World War One. And all, leading all the way to World War Three, so that was the material that I covered, and I, I figured you would have uh, something to say about the man in the brown suit. So, uh, so uh, if you want to, here, let me just go there real quick, and I can read that section here, uh, where this is uh, almost uh, two, three fifths down from the top of the article, because there's, there's no pagination on this article that I have. It says, however, Van Rensburg said that this time they will not rely on the fleshy arm of their leaders again. Nonetheless, a spiritual leader who will unite and arm the nation will rise in the eastern province. What would that province would that be? The eastern province. That, would that be? Yes, good evening, Pastor, and also yeah. good evening to our listeners across the globe. Can you yeah. hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Yes. Pastor, um, the eastern province is basically that part of the western Cape and eastern Cape, which um, for some reason is in the very vicinity where I'm residing. Um, what uh, this is the first time that I hear that the lead this leader would be emanating from uh, this part of South Africa. Okay. But um, uh, I want to do some retracing back onto uh, some of the uh, a few of the things that I've noticed, uh, which I don't know whether you covered that in as much as much detail. Um, I see, for example, that. There is um, some um, discussion around Lichtenberg. Now, Lichtenberg means the town of light, okay. which is, um, I'm sure, not by coincidence. Uh, coincidence. Uh, there are so many of the, uh, if I can call it, biblical names that were assigned to um, towns and uh, that that the Boers had established, yes. for example, uh, Bethlehem, the place that I was born. Okay. Uh, but not in a manger, Pastor. And then, for example, they were uh, tracking north. The Boers were tracking north. They were tracking towards what they believed to be Jerusalem. And during the time of the Great Trek and beyond, many of these Boers were known as Jerusalem trackers. Ah. Jerusalem Hangers. Uh-huh. Now, um, for example, they reached a river in north of Pretoria, which was called Nilestrom, the Nile River. Okay. They believed that this was connected to the Nile River of Egypt. 
Um, then, for example, uh, down in the Cape there is, for example, a mountain that was is called Ararat. Um, also, there's a rock that is called uh, the Ark. Uh, uh-huh. Things like that. The, the right. biblical names relating to the movement of the Boers were very often directly related to what they believed in the scriptures or to be sure. the scriptures. Yes. And uh, uh, that that indicates and reverberates the fact that the Boers were um, very much as um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle described them to be uh, with a dour fatalistic Old Testament religion. Right. Which is very important. Why would so Arthur Conan Doyle in particular relate or, or ascribe that to the Boers with a dour fatalistic Old Testament religion, which shows that they were not church-going uh, Christians. They were believers of the fact that they were the descendants of the house of Jacob. Yes. A very important other thing to note is that less than 60 years ago, it was common knowledge that there were two distinct and separate unrelated uh, white races. Okay. And it's very important that we take note of the two white races. That was, excuse me, that was recognized not just by um, people like Jan Smuts, but also by Cecil John Rhodes, the uh, British Jew, that uh, formed, uh, formed the British South African Company. Of course, that was also uh, the mining company in Rhodesia, the mining company in uh-huh. uh, what is present-day Botswana, and also the mining companies, consolidating the mining companies in the Cape with Kimberley and uh, wherever there was a discovery of uh, wealth, that was where Cecil John Rhodes Yes, he was there. <laughs> right. He, he has a nose nose there. for money. And, right. <laughs> he had the nose for money. Yeah. And then also, um, uh, Jan Smith uh, often delivered speeches for and on behalf of Cecil John Rhodes after his death. And um, the, very often, Jan Smith actually... Um, ascribe the fact that there were two or subscribe to the knowledge that there were two distinct white races. Now, something else that must also be said, I think I have said it on a various occasions about the Union Conference that was held in Durban 1908-1909, where it was clearly indicated on various occasions that there were two white races. Okay. Young Smuts, for example, he uh, said that he wanted to unite these two separate and um, individual or these separate and distinctive uh, white races into one nation. Um, and that is exactly what happened, except, except that one can ex- um, also see the prophecies of Daniel where the uh, mixing of the races comes into play in the vision or the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and where we are in the ten toes with, with iron and clay. Uh-huh, now, right. Uh, there is, and there, there's, there's always been this feud between the Boers and the Cape Dutch Afrikaners. 
Right. Where the Boer is always tracking, being victimized and ostracized, and of course also uh, uh, owned of the properties that they accumulated, and wherever they established themselves, the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners would come and annex and right. disown the Boers. And that was all the way up to past 1910 with the illegal Union of South Africa. Uh, Pastor, then something else about Lichtenberg. I need to say that uh, whenever the Cape Dutch Afrikaners, these um, purporters to be Boers, uh, whenever they feel the need to gather some uh, support for their very dubious agendas, what they do is they go and hold meetings and they've even ha- held so-called uh, 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 humbling right. at, uh, at Lichtenberg. And of course, with um, the, the, the big thing that they do is they have all the Germanies from the uh, reformist churches Right. To come and support and give speeches and whatever. Judeo churches. Now, one of the yes. first things when any humbling takes place is the Judeo Christian churches. Now, one of the things whenever the house of Jacob did a humbling, the first thing they did was to set themselves separate from all the other nations, even the women that the priests married. Okay. They on, on more than one occasion, they had to separate themselves and send the women and the children away. And even in, in a particular case, they killed them. And that was the first step towards humbling. The Boers today have been so robbed of their true identity that they go and get their Germanies, these <laughs> false priests, right. to come and uh, give their speeches and and. Uh, give them the main talk of the day for the humbling. Yes. Which means that they are... It's not humbling uh, at all. <laughs> they are circumventing. Yes. Exactly. A true humbling. Yeah, now, a true That is the one thing about Lichtenberg. The escape Dutch Afrikaners, in many instances, know the uh, prophecies of Sia von Rensburg greater or to a greater degree than the Boers do. Right, because the Boers have been so brainwashed by these. Uh, well, what I say, the Boers are under the uh, hypnosis of the Cape Dutch Afrikaner Church ministers. We actually call them bio priests. Yes, because of the way in which uh, their rituals and their black cloaks. Pastor, it is something to see when you enter into some of these Dutch Reformed churches. They even have demons that have been carved from wood or made <laughs> out of plaster that right. come from the outside of the church. Right. <laughs> they yeah, even yeah. Have, gargoyles. They even have, yeah. um, well, gargoyles, but, but a gargoyle is in fact a, um, the, 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 uh, an image of a demon. Right. The gargoyle is, is uh, it's not something we read about in scriptures, but they no. do find their place in the Dutch Reformed Church and That's the right. Reformed Church in South Africa in the, in the um, uh, uh, rounding off of the, the church building. Yes. Now, 
something else that I wanted to say about the region or the area of Hopetown. Now, one of the things that many people don't realize is that many of these Cape Dutch Afrikaners out of the that held very important posts because of their um, allegiance to the Afrikaner Bund or their allegiance to the Afrikaner churches right. or the fact that they were um, Freemasons and when they um, when they, they, they went on pension of course they received very large uh, financial packages because they had been in the employ of uh, the, the Cape Dutch Afrikaner um, elitists yes. for so many years in, in the upper echelons of the society. What they did was when they received their pension money, they went and they started buying up all of the farms in the Priska Hopetown area. So the ground had become very expensive because they are now exploiting the fact that they know that Sina van Rensburg actually yes. prophesied about Priska and Hopetown and the yeah. Northern Cape and the Greater Karoo, etc. Yeah, and now Lindsberg. prices <laughs> of these uh, uh, escalating to a very high level. Right. Now, these these people are doing exactly the same thing that Peter Tief did. Peter Tief uh, went to negotiate with Dungan, as we know, yeah, for grounds. But what yeah. Peter Tief's, with, with the Zulus, yes. What Peter Tief's intention was, was to then, well, negotiate the land and then to sell the land to the Boers. Uh-huh. Now, that is a very unscriptural thing to do. Right. <laughs> because the Boers, the Boers actually went and trekked into un... Um, uh, Chartered. Country Uncharted. and, and the hinterland that was lying, lying waste. Yes. Only encountering the, some of the local population on trek. The local population trekked with the animals especially in winter for grazing purposes. Yes. They didn't establish uh, large strongholds like the Zulus. Also, there was a, a war waging between the various black tribes of South Africa, which was called the Metakani. Mm-hmm. Now, the Metakani was the Zulus who would go out and they would go marauding whoever or all the other black tribes in the vast wastelands of South, Southern Africa, and they would go and kill the men and rape the women. Right. And they would actually take the women as their wives, etc. So there was a, um, a war waged by the Zulus, which kept the land very clear of yeah. um, smaller groups, etc. Yeah, other nationalities of blacks. By right. The, the, Yes. The divine providence of Father Yahweh. Because, yeah, just, just as he cleared uh, Europe he, he for us as well. Yes. The land of the- yes. Okay. Now, All right, now my, uh, before you continue, my, that, my understanding that is-, is that only the uh, Hottentots and the Pygmies had even established any kind of residence in that territory at all. And there really were no other black tribes 
Uh, today, black tribes claim that territory, but they have less right to claim it than you do, than the Boer people. Correct? Uh, Pastor, well, no, not quite. Okay. The, um, the, the areas of the Cape Flatlands or the Cape Flats was um, territory that was owned or um, where the Khoi and the San, now we often talk about the Khoi San, where the Khoi and the San, two different groups, where they resided and where they planted and where they had the cattle graze, etc. And that was some of the first people that Jan van Riebeek, after their arrival on the, at the Cape on the 5th of April, that they... Yes, many people are going to say, but David, they didn't arrive the 5th of April, they arrived the 6th of April. No, they arrived the 5th of April. Okay. <laughs> that is what the two history books say. Yeah. But um, um, it, it is just amazing how many people just assume the populist versions of the history. Right. But in any case, um, and there were also a group that were called Strandloopers, beach walkers. Strandloopers. Okay. Then there was also groups that were called the Saldanas. Now these are um, various groups within the Khoisan that, um, for example, had their own settlements in various places around the uh, vicinity of the current Cape Town and the Greater Cape Town. Okay. Now then there were the the Bushmen. The Bushmen were a nomadic tribe. Um, those are the ones that you actually, that you refer to as pygmies, but in South Africa they're not known as pygmies. They are known as Bushmen, and these Bushmen were a nomadic people. They would actually settle um, uh, in, in huts that they would build uh, for a period of time, and then uh, with the next season they would move on and they would find new grazing for the cattle. What they, what they primarily did, they hunted. Yeah. And they also known for the, uh, the accuracy in hunting with small arrows, bows and arrows. Yes. And also okay. their tremendous ability to do some tracking. They would follow an animal for days, even weeks, only to then, um, when they finally managed to, to dart him or to shoot him with um, uh, their bow, bow and arrow. Uh, and, of course, with the concoction of plant poisons right. that would actually kill the, the animal or, or have the, maim the animal to the point where they could then kill the animal and um, feast from the animal. Also, uh, these bushmen could survive with very little food. Um, and very little water. They they uh, had a tremendous capability of surviving. Their trekking capabilities, of course, was exploited by the Cape Dutch Afrikaners during the so-called Bush War, etc. Mm. But um, uh, there was something else I wanted to say about the man in the brown suit. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, here let me we, let me re- re- read the. Let me read these two verses again uh, to set it up. Uh, Van Rensburg said that at this time, or this is uh, toward the, you know, in the latter days, that w- they, they that the war people will not rely on the fleshly arm of their leaders again. 
Nonetheless, a spiritual leader who will unite and arm the nation will rise in the eastern province, which I suspect is probably um, uh, not not Natal, but the Transvaal, or it could be Natal if that's part of the South African grouping. That would be the those two would be the easternmost provinces. Okay, just I'm just guessing here. Although Van Rensburg did not say how this man would arm them, I believe it will be spiritual as well as physical. The man in the brown suit also steps forward at this stage. On the 15th June 1920, Van Rensburg had a vision of England being conquered by Germany in a future battle. A well-built boar in a brown suit will play an important part in this victory. Okay, and then uh, the next sentence talks about Lichtenberg. I might as well read that. It is the same boar who will come here to address and pacify the people at Lichtenberg. It will not be a, a Cape Dutch Afrikaner. It will be a boar. All right, over to you. Hmm. Yes, Pastor. Um, with so many of these Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners purporting to be boars, and of course, assimilating Boers and uh, pretending and um, presenting themselves to be Boers, so many of them actually, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever they meet, you will find them wearing the old South African or the previous government's brown military um, uh, uh, clothing. Right. And what we used to call bushwear, the, the military bushwear. Right. And that is brown. That is a dark brown. And uh, purporting to be Boers, of course, they present themselves as if they are uh-huh. the man in the brown suit. Right. And um, they, <laughs> uh, they even wear the military regalia of the, South, the Edomite South African military. Now, uh, whenever I speak about the two distinct and separate races, the two separate white races, I get a tremendous amount of flack. In fact, people have even cursed me mm-hmm. for even trying to establish or to, to make this publicly known because uh, I get accused of trying to divide the nation. Uh, I get accused of uh, belittling the world. Uh, I've been uh, even um, um, presented with a notification that I had to present myself in Pretoria for a um, one of these photograph um, the tests. Oh wow! <laughs> to, to, to establish to establish whether I am a truth speaker or whether I am a divider, whether yeah. I am reliably enough reliable yeah. enough to even speak for and on behalf and about the Boers. You better be but careful. It might be an electric chair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, please continue. Pastor, uh, you go ahead. Pastor, the, and there is currently a tremendous movement by um, most of these Edomites and um, even some of the so-called Boer, um, well, what do we call them? Teachers, the, the, the right. men that teach the Boers about their own, supposedly about their own history. Right. But they don't even know that um, the, the difference between the Cape Dutch Afrikaner and the Boer. Right. They deny the difference between the Cape Dutch Afrikaner. They, they out, or they, their departure point is 
everybody who is liberal is an Afrikaner, and everybody who hates blacks is a Boer. Right. Is, in short, <laughs> the interpretation they Okay, are. right. But yeah. they, they, refuse, they refuse that the difference lies in the bloodline relationship to the descendants of the house of Jacob and the bloodline relationship to the descendants of the house of Esau. Absolutely and for right. that matter, uh, any of the other Canaanites and Hittites and Pharisites, uh, uh, um, uh, they just ignore. It, it mm. is uh, as if uh, they ignore the fact that there is a, a descendancy of the Edomites and the descendancy of the Jacobites. That's right. Uh, and they just refuse that. So I'm uh, at the point where uh, many people, in fact, where I get blamed, I get accused of so many uh, uh, things that that they ascribe to me for saying which I did never say. Right. Um, I, what, I, what I very often do, whenever people teach that which the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners uh, that we know are Edomites by the way in which they behave, their characteristics, their right. way of, or their method of operation, or the way in which they do things. Yep. Uh, clearly, subversion. Exactly that which was, that was also um, written about Esau in the scriptures. Yes. But the very important thing is, what people very often forget is that prophecies also indicate the line of descendancy of the people of a nation or uh, the people of a country. Absolutely. For example, um, uh, Father Yahweh in, in, in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 very clearly indicates what will happen to the people of the house of Jacob if they, they do not obey his commands, his, uh, his Torah, and that is exactly what happened to the Boers, virtually by, yes. by um, just by following scripture, you can establish, clearly see that the Boers in their history um, are the descendants of the house of Jacob. It's, it's yes. clear for anybody to see, yeah. but they, re- they refuse to even refer to prophecies because it does not see the agenda. Right. Now, something else I wanted to say, Pastor, I'm nearly finished with this particular um, aspect. The, this writer, for example, writes in, in that particular sentence or that particular paragraph, he says, this particular man in the brown suit, he, he will be a genuine Afrikaner. Right. <laughs> now, to then he says, a boer down to his marrow, you can never be an Afrikaner and a boer. The moment that you call yourself an Afrikaner, you disengage from the very fact that you can be a boer because it is um, in exactly the same way. In South Africa, we have the Zulus, which are residing mostly in Natal, but I've also dispersed the cities for the purpose of gaining work and gaining uh, the ability to survive. But the Eastern Cape, and that is the area around Port Elizabeth, Grahamstown, north towards um, the Transkei, which is uh, in the Eastern Cape, 
Um, that particular part of the country is um, very clearly the area which the CEO from Rensburg refers to as to where the um, man in the brown suit will be emanating from. Okay. Now, um, this, this uh, what he says here is a boar down to his marrow. Okay. Uh, it can only be a person that can be a boar down to his marrow because he would have to be a direct descendant of the house of Jacob Amen. And, and in terms of his blood, bloodline. Yes, absolutely. With no admixture of Edom, <laughs> Esau, Edom in the bloodline, right? That won't work. Yeah. Okay. Yes, very good. Okay. So, all right. So, yeah, and uh, I've noticed that the author, who, who is uh, Van Rensburg's granddaughter, she does not make distinctions between Afrikaners and Boers. She she doesn't know. In fact, uh, the vast majority of people living, white people living in South Africa, uh, have been laboring on the illusion that the Afrikaners and Boer are the same people for many generations. And uh, you are the ones to straighten that out. Okay. Correct that, this, uh, correct that illusion. Exactly. Okay. All right. So, so anyway, he oh, says, and, and that was, go ahead. That, that was purely by virtue of the fact that I had the visitation of the angel pastor. I would never yes. have known that the difference between the Boer and Afrikaner would be on the basis of yeah, the bloodline descendancy from the house of Jacob. Amen. I never knew that until, well, up to the, the 25th of June. Um, well, where are we at the moment? Very yeah. close to the 25th of June. Yeah, right. Which means nearly yeah. eight years. Yes, uh, nearly, nearly eight, eight years. years. I've been, uh, yeah. 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 And so, uh, and then you transmitted that knowledge to me when I arrived there in December for uh, Blood River Day. That very same year. Okay, yes. so that was uh, well-timed. Exactly. <laughs> the visitation was well-timed from my perspective as well. All right, exactly. so so let's continue. Yes. And so he says, it is the same Boer who will come here to address and pacify the people of Lichtenberg. This shows another clear parallel between the oppression which the Boer nation finds itself in and the experiences of the Israelites when they were subjected to oppression by God, or punishment, not oppression, punishment by God because of their disobedience. During such times, strong leaders and God-fearing people rose from the nation to lead them to freedom, and without exception, that freedom was gained through divine intervention. Okay, so there will be a divine intervention. Think of Moses, Samson, Gideon, David, Andres Pretorius, and Charles Cillier, uh, the last... Uh, who who was Andres Pretorius and who was Charles Chillier? Uh, Pastor Andres Pretorius was the great grandfather of my late mom. Okay. So um, I and and also um, the uh, three generations before my father, my father's um, great great grandfather or great grandfather was also. In the Blood River, uh, um, uh-huh. the Battle of the Blood of Blood River. So both my parents descended from men who were in the Battle of Blood River. Yeah, um, they were for that reason. I I can call myself a son of the Vow because both my ancestry uh, were present with the making of the Vow at Blood River. I find it of no uh, of no. Uh, uh, small um, uh, intent that that 
I was the one that was visited by the angel, purely because of that, because that was one of the first things that the, the, the uh, angel, when I asked the angel, why, why am I being visited? What makes me so special, if I can call it that? Uh, why is this task laid upon me to awaken the Boers out of the uh, state of uh, hypnosis? Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 as if they have been anesthetized. And the angel said to me, uh, the angel asked me, am I aware of the fact that Father Yahweh only deals with people according to their bloodline? Right. <laughs> he hates people in bloodlines and he loves people in bloodlines. He, right. uh, uh, he, he, he blesses in bloodlines and he curses in bloodlines. And I didn't know that. I, uh-huh. In spite of the fact that I had two years of theology training, um, where in which I was a Bible scholar, because of the, the fact that I was uh, a theological, where theos refers to somebody else and the true um, uh, Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Um, so uh, in, in spite of all of that, I did not know that. I did not come to realize that it was spelled out in, in clear, understandable yes. Afrikaans to me. And, and it, I found it quite strange that the, the angel would speak to me in Afrikaans. Right. And uh, <laughs> the other thing that I, want, that I wanted to say is so many of the, um, the very small pieces of the puzzle that I had for so many years, the angel actually revealed to me on that particular morning and the angel gave me the instructions to go and search for the evidence, the pieces of evidence that would support that which he revealed to me. And of course, in that particular search, I uh, did a backup the other day of um, some of my uh, pieces of evidence. And uh, there were more than 110,000 files. Oh, some wow. of those files are actually more than a thousand pages of evidence of that which the angel has revealed to me. Okay. All right. Well, I'm looking at a map of uh, the north and e- or central and northeastern South Africa. Uh, so I assume Pretoria is the, ca- or was the, originally the capital of the Transvaal? Is that uh, correct? Is that correct? It uh, was then- also the legislative Okay. Uh, or what they call the executive uh, seat of the government, where yes. Cape Town was the legislative seat of the government. Yes, and then Johannesburg. of the Union. You must always come in. Okay. Johannesburg was developed out of the uh, discovery of gold. Ah, okay. Um, and that was in 1886. Yes, and then I see Blumfontein is uh, a, a headquarters with a star. A capital, is that of the Orange Free State? Was the capital that... of the Orange Free State, and it's also um, the seat of the justice. Okay. Uh, justice of uh, South Africa is right. uh, the, the legal city of South Africa, if I can call it that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I would say, well, Pretoria and Johannesburg are, are look to me like to be part of the eastern province, but they don't border on the Indian Ocean as no. Durban does. Okay. So uh, 
So you're well, saying... In, in fact, go ahead. Sorry, sir. Yep. The, the, east, the eastern province um, is what is related around, in, in fact, south of the Transkei. Okay. Which uh, incorporates, uh, if you have it on your map, Grahamstown, uh, East London, Port Elizabeth, okay. and um, even down to uh, George. In George, okay. it is this, what is right. known currently as the Southern Cape. But not as and far east as Durban? Somewhere in between. Okay. So, uh, not as far northeast as Durban? Um, Pastor, it could also imply Durban, but it is not known as the eastern province. Okay. Um, the, the Durban is um, what has predominantly been a English city or um, right. the, the legacy of the British, British um, yes. colony of Natal. Okay. Very good. Okay, so... so by, 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 yeah. Just by incident, I grew, I grew up in Durban, uh, and that gives me or gave me the ability to, to communicate in English fairly well. Yes. Uh, to the point where I also provided training to countries overseas. Yes. But uh, all in all, Pastor, the eastern eastern province, I would say, is um, where um, approximately, uh, let's say, about 200 kilometers south of Port Elizabeth, right up to the border of the the Old Town Sky, let's say Port St. John's, uh, well, even further north than Port St. John's, but that is what is currently known as, or what, what, what used to be called the Eastern Province. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I see uh, Port Elizabeth is the very southern tip of the Eastern Province, and Durban is uh, a few miles outside of it, uh, the delineation on this map that I have here. Okay, so Port Elizabeth would be considered... Yeah, well, that's a pro- Go ahead. Um, uh, from Durban to Port Elizabeth is about 630 kilometers. Okay. So uh, it, it might not look that distance on your map. On your map, that is. Yeah, it's a distance. It's a great distance. distance. It, it's yeah, it's quite a distance. More than a day's travel. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So let's and, continue. And, uh, the best route, the best route between, just for interest, the best route between Durban and uh, Port Elizabeth goes. Uh, just about halfway to Johannesburg and then into the uh, province of the Free State and then south uh, towards um, Elevon North uh, and then uh, down back to um, um, the Eastern Cape, uh, Grahamstown, Port Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The so, the, so who is Charles Cillier? C i l l i e r s. Charles. Charles Salier was, uh, his descendants were of the French Huguenots. Ah, but okay. Charles Salier was a Dutch reformed Germany. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 uh, he, he was, he acted as the spiritual leader of the, uh, group that was with, uh, on, with, with, um, Peter Tief. Uh-huh. And, okay. uh, also when, 
when Andres Pretorius presented the, the group, uh, they were approximately 463 uh, whites, and I think there were some uh, coloreds and also blacks, because when the Boers left the Cape, there were many uh, of the slaves who refused to be set free. They wanted to be, uh, yeah. be because of the, the good uh, mastership of the Boers, they wanted to be part uh, and parcel of the great trek. Yes. But um, Charles Delia, when, when Andres Pretorius presented the group with the idea of presenting Father Yahweh with a um, with a petition or with a covenant, uh-huh. uh, the, um, the the some of the sources that I managed to get hold of actually relates to the fact that Andres Pretorius had the name of Yahweh in the covenant. Huh. And when Charles Salia heard this, he said, no, there's no way that they can use Yahweh, the name Yahweh. They must say the Yerah or the Lord. Yes. And then it was given to the, to the three assemblies or the three congregations of the 463 men that were there. They were divided into three congregations, each with his own leader, uh-huh. or with, uh, their own leader. And yes. the decision to name Father Yahweh was then uh, decided um, between the name as Yahweh, which Andre Pretorius had stated was the name that was given in his Titan Bible. Right. Uh, on two occasions, the name of Yahweh appears but with a J and not with a Y. Yeah, so for us, like case, a Y, yeah. And that was, that was what Charles Salia actually uh, refused to accept. Wow. And then by virtue of the decision of the, three, of the three congregations within the group, they decided to use the name of not Yahweh, nor did they use Lord, but they said, the creator of heaven and earth. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> which is a pity because um, I, uh, in this um, search for the evidence that I was told by the angel to go and search for, I found the evidence that was written in 1880, where the, a person wrote about the covenant that was uh, made in, in um, on uh, on the 16th of December. In, in fact, on the 9th of December okay. in 1838. And again, also the covenant that was made in um, uh, uh, west of Johannesburg, which was called Wonderfontein um, um, Wonderfontein uh, in 1878. They, uh, um, well, 1879 rather, they uh, set up a new covenant. In fact, the Boers that were present at the Wonderfontein um, event in 1879 made the Blood River Covenant as a covenant of the whole Boer people. You must remember that there were only 463 right. Boers in the um, lager. Uh, at the Battle of Blood River. So only a very small portion of the Boers were directly related or directly involved in the covenant. Right. And they felt that it was very important for the whole nation, the Boer nation, to become um, as 
with sewers or as uh, conforming or as underwriters of this covenant with Yahweh. Right. But so, in, uh, the, the person who wrote this book in the 1880s wrote about the fact that in those days there were three different versions of the, the covenant. <laughs> right. The wording okay. of the covenant. And this, this, this writer says that there was uh, a version that Charles yeah, actually stated on his deathbed. And then there was a version that was stated by a Germany and the Free State. And then there was Andres Pretorius's version. Right. And Andres Pretorius's version is nowhere to be found. <laughs> but only Charles Lear's version. Right. right. And, um, okay. In the meantime, what, what I have found, Pastor, is that there, are, there is currently about five or six different versions of the covenant because it has been exploited by the Cape Dutch Afrikaners right. who don't want the true covenant to be known. Sure. Okay. Well, a question here. Since you say that this covenant was broadened to the entire Boer people in 1879, was there any suggestion by this new, renewed Boer covenant of including the Cape Dutch Afrikaners. Pastor, they can never be part of the um, any of the covenants of the Boers, purely for the reason in 1879 with the covenant of um, Wonderfontein, of course, with, with the subsequent year in 1880, this, um, a, a great number of Boers had um, disobeyed the um, uh, yeah, the invading um, British military uh, commanding officer. Okay. They, they uh, disobeyed him. I think it was um, uh, Kitchener at the time. Uh, he commanded that uh, none of the uh, Boers could actually gather at the meeting like that. In spite of that, the Boers did gather a very large uh, uh -huh. number of the Boers and they uh, then actually confirmed the Boers as a nation uh -huh. to be um, uh, become part of the covenant that was made in uh, as a as a confirmation of the covenant in 1879 at Wonderfontein. Okay. And on that very same day, when the Boers also made a new covenant, the covenant of Par de Graal, that covenant actually spoke about the regaining of the Boers uh -huh. of their land of the uh, two republics. Yes. And that very same day, this, the first Anglo-Boer War erupted. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so the British had their say about that. <laughs> but yeah, we will have the final say about that. Yeah. Okay, very good. All right, so exactly. Charles Cillier, you say he was a Huguenot. Not a... Uh, not a, he was a, a Huguenot pastor, but... So he's not a Cape Dutch Afrikaner. You must remember that the... Uh, I'm very careful in stating anything like that because um, Charles Celia, uh, his uh, ancestors were forced into Calvinism in France. Wow. In okay. fact, they had exactly like the Boers that uh, arrived in the Cape had no, it, it was either death as or Calvinism. By <laughs> death or Calvinism. Oh my and goodness, what a choice. <laughs> Okay. Be become members. They were forced to become members um, 
written members or uh, what yeah. do you call it, certified members of the Dutch Reformed Church going through the rituals of being um, uh, uh, Christianized or Christian. Yes. And then also going through the catechisms and all the, uh, uh, the various rituals uh, because they had to have certificates of uh, all of that before they could actually uh, qualify to have the free burger status. Yes, right. Well, uh, yeah, the author here says uh, further on down, well, let me just quote in Nehemiah 13, this is in chapter 22 now, uh, reform and a time of darkness, which uh, as you quoted earlier from Genesis, uh, not Genesis, Deuteronomy 28, etc., that uh, if the Boer people, the Israelite people, do not obey Yahweh, he will punish them, <laughs> and uh, they will have to go through all Absolutely. kinds of hard times, okay? And so this is uh, what uh, his uh, granddaughter here is saying. Uh, the Afrikaner does not really know why reform must take place. I'm thinking she, uh, she must mean the Boer people here. Or what it boils down to. He, yeah. the, the boar, blindly agrees and hopes for the best. He allows everything to be taken from him and everything to be changed. He prefers doing nothing to stop it, for it may be quite, oh, a quote, unquote, offensive. You don't want to offend your, your persecutor, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is the same attitude we have exactly. here in America and in Europe. Well, Pastor, um, often the a land grabbing of the Boer republics by the Cape Dutch Afrikaners in 1910. Many of the Boers, thousands of the Boers, were disowned from their lands without compensation. Yes. Disowned from their farms, disowned from their houses in the, the town. And uh, these uh, uh, farms and houses were given to the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners who participated in the war against the Boers as um, uh, 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 Kitchener even boasted and he said he had more than 50,000 of these Cape Dutch Afrikaners who were, um, um, uh, what do you say, they, they gave themselves to, to go and fight against the Boers. They were volunteers to go and fight against the Boers. In, in fact, I'm going to say something now which I don't like saying, but many of the Krugers, Paul Kruger's own family, uh -huh. uh, also joined the Cape Dutch Afrikaners um, missionary, um, um, uh, the, the um, um, what do you call the mercenary um, military might of the British Empire because of all the um, very bad things that President Paul Kruger did against the Boers. Uh -huh. They even, the, the Krugers, I think it was more than 140 Krugers that joined the Cape Dutch Afrikaners in the battle against the Boers, women and children. That's as simple as that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then uh, his granddaughter goes through a, the Sears timetable, uh, which um, uh, highlights uh, uh, the, t the, the official abolishment of the apartheid vision, uh, 9115, that revolution, violence, and rebellion will break out in the country. And, of course, we're talking about the days of uh, Mandela. Necklace murders, he, he saw that. He saw uh, oh, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union. The date of that vision was 1814. Yeah. Then the seventh leader of the National Party appears on the scene, vision 1814. 
but he will be a traitor because Van Rensburg saw him as a clean-shaven young man. He also rejects the principles of the National Party. The sole of my shoe comes off. So what do you make of that? Who would that have been? It couldn't have been Mandela. It has to be somebody after okay, Mandela. But, okay, if we look at the true history, which is very obscured by the Cape Dutch Afrikaners, okay. must we remember that in on the 31st of May 1910, the Cape Dutch Afrikaners took full and final control of the 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 Boer Republic, uh-huh. in which they incorporated into their illegal universal union. Yeah, and it was um, over a period after that. All the Boer generals that were even uh, fighting alongside with the um, uh, 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 Trojan horse called. Um, the, 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 this Jew called, well, he's a Trojan horse, but the Jew called Jan Smith. Okay. Jan Smith and Louis Boerta actually had these generals of the Boers killed in one way or the other, right. one after the other. Wow. And the reason why they did this was they instituted, on an illegal basis, they instituted the... Um, so-called uh, uh, um, voting within the Boer Republic, uh, Jan Smuts had created the Afrikaner Party, the South African Afrikaner Party. And uh, what they did was they inundated the Boer Republics with Cape Dutch Afrikaners so that they could actually win the election. Uh-huh. And... Um, Everybody thought that the National Party was uh, the Boer Party, which was, of course, not. Uh-huh. It was, okay. again, a case of people purporting to be Boers that the established imposters. the National Party, which, right. um, of course, yes, yes. And what they did was they, by the policies that they chose, for example, the apartheid policy, was that they created that for the purpose of having the Boer support for their political system. Sure. But that has all been... By deception, um, yes. A shove to the side. And, and you can also see exactly the same way that Hitler was ostracized because he was, for the, Boer, for the Germans, right. he removed the Edomite Jewish component out of the... Uh, the, the Commerce yeah. and out of the financial system in Germany. Amen. Yes. And exactly in the same way, the, the Boers were isolated from the economy. Uh, they were removed from their farms, and those Boers that retained their farms after 1910, uh, or that had not their farm, that had their farms not disowned. Right. They were isolated because. All they, all they had to be, they were forced to become members of the Dutch Reformed Church or one right. of the Reformed Churches. Right. And they had to become members of the, the Afrikaner Bond or Freemasonry. Right. If a Boer did not uh, <laughs> accept those terms, he would actually find himself, he couldn't mock his father, he uh, couldn't become a member of the co-operation. Yes. Is ostracized. Or if he did become a member of the co 
operation he did not yeah, was... he would actually find himself in a position where uh, he, he would he, he would have to leave his land and the land be bought up by Cape Dutch Africans. Right. So that's the the uh, uh, Afrikaans version of the Catholic interdict, who uh, ever uh, was a subject to you know, the authority of the Pope. If he rejected the Catholic religion, he was disowned from everything. All right, he wasn't necessarily well, killed. The, the, yes, go ahead. The, the, um, uh, in all the countries where the Dutch East Indian Company, the VOC, operated and where they had uh, ports from where they, yes. um, uh, from where they uh, were operating as merchants, yes. um, all the histories of those countries actually talk about the Inquisition or the Dutch Inquisition of that particular country where the um, Dutch Reformed Church was pressed down onto the people and by the rejection thereof, the people were murdered. Yeah. And oh. even your country was the same, Pastor. Right, right. Even in um, present-day New York, when the Dutch Reformed Church was established there, people were killed. The Sioux and the uh, um, Mojave uh, Indians uh, if they did not subjugate to the uh, Cape Dutch Africa, uh, sorry, to the uh, Edomite. Yes. Um, now you must remember these Edomite Jews that established and ran and operated the Dutch East Indian Company. They yeah. were Sephardic Jews or Ethnarchy or uh, yeah. Kazarian Jews. Some form of Edomite, for the yeah. purpose of finding the grace. New Amsterdam. Finding the grace right. or establishing the of the of the Dutch the the, the um, Dutch government or the Dutch church because government and church in Holland at the time was exactly the same thing. The, yes, the church yes. was the state and the state was the church. Right, and to find there and it was run uh, by uh, Jews. Uh, <laughs> the, the, right, just just the, like Jews became Christians. Yes. Well, supposedly, they, right. They became temporary Christians. Yeah, temporary. That's the best well, way of putting it. Yeah, if, pretend. If read, yes. Um, right. They, they, uh, these Edomites even purported to be Christians right. so that they could have the benefit of the yeah. blessing of the government or the state. Yeah, authority as they did in Spain. As the Moranos did in Spain. Yeah. Okay, we've run out of time. Maybe you can identify the clean-shaven young man next week. So keep that in mind, okay? Because the world wants to know. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Martin. Thank you all for listening. Praise Yahweh, Pass the Ammunition, folks. See you all next time. Bye bye. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh.